was growing up, I used to love watching Tom and Jerry cartoons. Uh, in fact, I still watch them now with my grandchildren. And uh, one of the episodes you might remember is called That's My Mommy. And it's about a duckling that hatches from its egg. And the first thing it sees is Tom the cat who is sleeping outside the barn. And so the duckling thinks that Tom is its mummy. And of course, Tom's delighted and proceeds to tie up the duckling so he can have it for dinner. And as usual, it's Jerry who's the saviour who rescues the duckling and wants to restore it to its true mother. But the duckling is deceived, keeps going back to Tom, saying, That's my mommy! And in a sense, that's what was happening in the churches of Galatia. Because as we'll see today, it's the story of two mothers. And it's a story that affects us all. We're all children of either one mother or the other. One mother represents slavery, the other represents freedom. The Galatian problem was that Jesus, our saviour, had rescued them from their slavery to this present evil age. But instead of enjoying their freedom as children of God, they were being deceived by false teachers who were telling them if they wanted to be true children of God, in other words, sons of Abraham, then they needed to become Jewish and keep all the requirements of the Jewish law, which Paul warns them is like going back into slavery. So in this passage we're going to read, he changes his tack and he says, look, you know, it's not just about who your father is, right? This isn't just about Abraham but rather, who's your mother? Because you see, Abraham had two sons, and each had a different mother. One was a slave, the other was free. So who's your mother? Because right now, you're living like children of the slave mother, and that's not your mummy, says Paul. All right? So as we look at this together, I want to ask you, who's your mummy? And this is just as important for us as it was for the Galatians. Because unless we're living in the freedom that God intends for us and that Christ died to give us, then we'll never produce the fruit that God intends for us. And I really do believe that in this new season, God wants to make us very fruitful. Right? He's been speaking to us about fruitfulness and multiplication. And I kind of feel prophetically that we're going to experience greater freedom and greater fruitfulness. Right? Greater freedom in his spirit and greater fruitfulness in our witness. As we saw in our last series from John 15, God chose us to bear fruit. Now, I know it hasn't felt like that recently. It feels like we've been pruned back. But get ready, because Jesus said the Father prunes fruitful branches to make them even more fruitful. He said, it's to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. But what we have to understand is that the fruit is supernatural. It comes from being united with Christ. It doesn't happen naturally. Right? We can't uh, just produce it in ourselves. It doesn't matter how hard we try or how much effort we exert. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's his spirit in us who enables us to bear fruit. It's what Paul makes clear at the end of Galatians, where he talks about the fruit of the spirit and uh, us loving our neighbours, and uh, reaping in due season, he says. It's what God promised Abraham and his descendants when he said they will be a blessing to the nations. But here's the thing. 
We have an enemy who wants to rob us of that blessing and bring us back under the curse. He wants to turn our fruitfulness into barrenness. Right? It's what he was trying to do through the false teachers in Galatia, and it's what he's still trying to do today. And that is why it's so important we understand who our mother is. Because one mother will lead us into freedom and fruitfulness, and the other into slavery and barrenness. All right? That's the big picture. Let's take a look now at the two mothers. We're going to read from Galatians 4.22. It's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. Now, Paul's talking here about two real historical mothers. And you can read the story in the book of Genesis in chapters 12 to 21, where after centuries of fallen humanity, God revealed himself to Abraham and promised to give him descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, right? And a land that they would inherit. The only problem was, how could Abraham and his wife Sarah produce an heir? They were both elderly and she was barren. So after waiting for 10 years, they decided they would have to take matters into their own hands and do something to make this happen. Now, Sarah had a servant called Hagar. And so she suggested to Abraham that he take this slave girl as his concubine, which was not unusual in those days. And then Hagar would bear him a son who would count as Sarah's own. So Abraham agreed and he got Hagar pregnant and she gave birth to Ishmael. But things didn't work out too well because it led to animosity between the two women. It was several years later, when Sarah was 90 years old, that God promised Abraham that she would have a child and would become the mother of nations, which of course was humanly impossible. And yet, in Genesis 21, we're told the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And so she conceived and bore a son, Isaac. So, Two mothers, two sons, one born naturally, the other supernaturally, as a result of God's promise. Now let's read on in Galatians. Paul says these things are being taken figuratively. In other words, it symbolizes something. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem, because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, and Paul quotes here, Isaiah 54, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. And it's the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Now, Paul's conclusion here is pretty simple. Abraham had two sons from two women, 
and we are children of the free woman, not the slave. We, being all, have put their faith in Christ. But to understand how he comes to that conclusion, we've got to follow his rather complicated line of reasoning. So let me just kind of summarize what he seems to be saying under two columns, right? So first, there are two mothers. There's Hagar and Sarah, who represent two covenants, which are essentially the old covenant and the new covenant. One mother is a slave and the other is free. Paul says that Hagar represents Mount Sinai because that's where the law was given to God's people. It was a temporary measure to preserve them until the coming of Jesus. But it also kept them under a form of slavery because they were subject to the law. And so the covenant that Hagar represents bears children who are slaves, says Paul, whereas Sarah is the mother of the free. And this can also be seen in the two Jerusalems. Paul says Hagar represents the present city of Jerusalem, right? That was the physical, earthly city of Jerusalem that was the center of Judaism. It was the place where the chief priests and Pharisees sought to keep the Jewish people under the slavery of the law. And that's why Paul says she's in slavery with her children. But in contrast, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem that is above, will be inhabited by the free children of Sarah and will be made up of members from every nation, just as God promised Abraham. Therefore, all those who claim to be Abraham's physical descendants, the Jewish people, are actually in Hagar's line. Because like Ishmael, they've been born according to the flesh. They are Abraham's natural descendants. Whereas all who have faith in Jesus, whether Jews or Gentiles, have been born supernaturally, like Isaac was, right? We're born through the power of the Spirit, according to the promise of God. So, like Isaac, we are children of promise, says Paul, which means we will inherit the new heavens and new earth. Praise God. But in the meantime, it also means that we can expect to be treated like Isaac was treated by his half-brother Ishmael. And Paul reminds us how in the Genesis story, Ishmael persecuted Isaac. And he says that we can expect the same thing. It's how Jesus was treated by the religious leaders in Jerusalem who had him put to death. It's how they treated Christ's followers in the early church. And it's how the false teachers were treating the Gentile believers in Galatia. And so it continues to this present day. Sadly, you know, some of the worst treatments we can expect to receive is from those who profess to be Christians. Those who behave like half-brothers. Sometimes it's the most religious people, the most uh, self-righteous people, who are the most hateful and the most enslaved. You can tell by the way they treat people that Hagar is their mother. And so Paul says they will never share in the inheritance of Sarah's children, the children who are free. So who's your mother? No, we don't have to be born under the Jewish law to be Hagar's children. Everyone who is born according to the flesh, like Ishmael, is a slave by nature. Right? We were all born in slavery to sin and death. And the only way we can be set free from our slavery and be transferred from Hagar's family to Sarah's family is by being born again. In other words, it's supernatural, like Isaac's birth, because it's not something that we can just do ourselves, right? You can't just decide to become a Christian. There's nothing that 
we can do to make ourselves right with God and become members of his family. We can only receive what Christ has already done for us through his death and resurrection. As Paul said at the beginning of his letter, Jesus exchanged his life for ours to set us free from this present evil age. And when we put our faith in him, it shows that we have been born of the Spirit, that we are true children of God, citizens of the Jerusalem above. And as Sarah's children, we will inherit all the promises of God. Now, when you read the prophecies of the Old Testament, their ultimate fulfillment will be through Christ and his people, all who have Sarah as their mother. They won't be fulfilled through a literal state of Israel or through the present city of Jerusalem, nor through any other nation like Britain or America, right? That all belongs to Hagar. The mother of Christian nationalism is not Sarah, it's Hagar. That kind of thinking has Hagar as its mother. It is Sarah's children, citizens of the Jerusalem above, the multinational family of God, who would inherit the blessing that God promised Abraham and his descendants. We will inherit the new heavens and new earth, and it's all through faith in Christ and Christ alone. We cannot earn it. We don't deserve it. It's the gift of God's grace to us, just like Isaac was a gift of God's grace. So can you see? Everyone has either Hagar or Sarah as their spiritual mother. We're either a slave by nature or set free by grace. And Paul's point is that having been set free, we need to live as free children of God and bear the fruit of the Spirit, and especially in the way that we treat others, and not allow the enemy to deceive us and draw us back into slavery and barrenness. Look at Sarah, he's saying, that's your mummy, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. So, just to apply this now, I'd like us to consider Sarah for a moment. Sarah was barren when God chose her. Now, we need to understand that, in, sadly, in ancient times, a woman's value and worth were wrapped up in her ability to produce children. And there was a lot of shame associated with being barren. Even today, for many women, not being able to bear children can lead to a lot of anguish. So it's hard to imagine the emotions that Sarah must have felt when God told her husband his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, right? I mean, imagine being Sarah. There she was, an elderly woman, probably not feeling very desirable, had never been able to conceive. I and mean, it's hardly surprising that after waiting 10 years to see if something would happen, that she looked at Hagar, her young, beautiful servant, and wondered if perhaps God wanted to give children through her, through someone more fertile, more, more blessed than she. And I wonder if perhaps some of you listening right now might identify with Sarah. Maybe uh, you feel useless or worthless, especially compared to others who may seem more gifted, more able, more blessed. Or maybe you're in a season of your life right now when you're wondering, how can God use me? But you see, God chose Sarah to be the fruitful one, even though she was elderly, weak and barren. He didn't choose Hagar, even though she was young, strong and fertile. As it says in 1 Corinthians 1, God chose what is weak in the world. God chose the insignificant and the rejected in the world, things that seem like nothing. Do you feel like that? Like you have nothing to offer, insignificant? Then good, you qualify. 
And again, I'm sure many listening can sympathize with Sarah when, you know, several years later at the age of 90, she overheard the Lord saying to Abraham, this time next year, your wife will have a son. And it says Sarah laughed to herself. Are you kidding me? Her faith may have been weak at that point in time, just as her body was weak. But God didn't reject her. He didn't rebuke her. He just said, is anything too difficult for me? And then repeated his promise. This time next year, Sarah will have a son. And she did, just as God promised. He was faithful, just as he'll be faithful to you. Now, you may have doubts that God can use you and make you fruitful, but God will meet you where you are and he will not give up on you. He loves to give grace to the weak and the barren. It's something we see right through the scriptures, including in our passage today, where Paul quotes Isaiah 54. Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. That scripture was always understood to represent Sarah or Jerusalem or both. And certainly, Paul seems to be applying it to both here. Originally, the prophecy was for the Jewish exiles in Babylon who felt weak and helpless compared to the other nations that were strong and able. And Jerusalem, their ancient homeland, was at the time desolate and barren. And God reminds them of Sarah, their barren mother, and gives them this amazing promise that after the exile, they would have many children. And by quoting this, Paul is making it clear that the promise was not to be fulfilled in the earthly Jerusalem, but through the new heavenly Jerusalem that would have children from every nation, just as God had promised when he said that Sarah would be the mother of nations. God gives grace to the barren. He made Sarah very fruitful. It wasn't just Isaac who was the miracle child. We are all miracle children by God's grace. All who put their faith in Christ are part of Sarah's vast uncountable, multinational family. She is our spiritual mother. So just as God made her supernaturally fruitful, he will make us supernaturally fruitful as well. And it's got nothing to do with our natural abilities. Other people may seem more beautiful, more gifted, more able. They may have more influence, more money, more power. Right? You may be tempted to envy their lifestyle, their families, their careers. But you know, that kind of thinking has Hagar for its mother. It will just lead us back into slavery. Remember, your mother is Sarah and shout for joy. That's what this story is telling us. Because Christ has set us free from finding our identity and worth in earthly things, in the things of the flesh. Right? We are sons and daughters of God now, as Brittany Drew reminded us at the beginning of this chapter. And if we'll live in this world as citizens of heaven, of Jerusalem above, bearing the family likeness, as Ray encouraged us last week, living out the gospel as we serve others, then we will bear much fruit, fruit that will last for all eternity. Let me just close now with a story I heard from Tim Keller. Eighty years ago, a German lady moved to Manhattan and started hosting a Bible study through which two African-American women from Harlem came to Christ. And they asked her if she would begin a ministry up in Harlem to reach more of their friends. Now, this lady was engaged to be married at the time, 
and her fiancé was against her doing this ministry. He told her that he would call off the wedding if she went to Harlem. And so she agonised between the call she felt from God and her desire to be married. And then she came across Isaiah 54. More are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. And so she followed God's call and lost her fiancé. But as a result of her ministry, a new church was born, which is still in existence today, 80 years later, Bethel Gospel Church in Harlem. And that lady today has far more spiritual children than any physical ones her lost marriage would have given her. May God make us all very fruitful in this season. May he give us many spiritual children, just as he promised Sarah. Listen, have you put your faith in Jesus? Then go and be a blessing. You will be a blessing because Sarah is your mommy.